Today's story is about Jarrell Foster. I've entitled this case, Deadly Love. When we catch up with Jarrell, she is 25 years old and the year is 2005. And I want you guys, just for a quick second, just to let your mind drift back to when you were 25. When I was 25, you know, typically when you're 25, you're still getting your legs underneath you. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out what you want to do. If you haven't gone to college, you might be working a job, but still you just are like planning your life, right? And you're still really young. Um, and if you're already 25 years old listening to this, then I feel like you can relate to Jarrell's story because that definitely where she, that's where she was in 2005. She was trying to figure out her life, figure out what she wanted to do. And she was not waiting around for anybody to set the rules for her. She wanted to go get it for herself. She was a self starter. So family and friends describe her as ambitious and just an overall beautiful girl inside and out. Um, She had aspirations of going to beautician school, doing hair for others, helping others. And she just was getting her footing in this world. Now, she was very pretty. I saw pictures of her, and definitely, if you've seen a preview for our episode, then you're probably looking at pictures of her as well. She was tall, and her mother said she was slim and just very model-like looking. So, you know, just imagine a tall, brown-skinned girl, beautiful hair, very slim and tall. That was her. And she absolutely loved to dance. If you wanted to go out with Jarrell, just know you was going to go to some type of club where you could have a good time and dance the night away because that's what she absolutely adored. Now, the one thing that I can say that is a little bit different about Jarrell is Jarrell um, hadn't been in any type of serious relationship, right? And you would expect... For, you know, at least by 25, you would have been in some type of relationship, right? Long-standing relationship or had a, you know, genuine relationship that you had been in by 25 years old. But that was not the case for Jarrell. She was 25 and really was just kind of just living her best life, you know. But she met Frederick Christian in 2005 as she was walking to school and um beauty school and and going to work she met this guy named Frederick and he was working on cars in her neighborhood he frequently tried to get at her tried to talk to her tried to get her number and initially she just brushed him off she was like Mm-mm, nope i got to go to class i got things to do and just wasn't interested but she eventually hooked up with him. They began to talk, exchange numbers, and quickly found out they had a lot of things in common. Frederick was a self-starter, much like Jarrell. They wanted to make their own rules make sure they had their goals in front of them. And although he didn't have a traditional, traditional job, he was very much a hustler, okay? So what he would do is he would basically flip cars. He would buy cars really cheaply, fix whatever may be wrong with those cars, make sure it was in good condition. 
give the car a new refresh, a new look, and then he would resell those cars. So he was very, very um, creative, right? Like, and also just innovative, wanted to do something and wanted to create his own job for himself, working his own hours. By 2009, Jeriel and Frederick's relationship is blossoming beautifully, and they decide to move in together. When they move in together into an apartment, they quickly have a daughter. Now, parenting is natural to both of them. They both are naturally nurturing, naturally kind of fall into this rhythm with their day-to-day tasks and keeping up with their newborn baby. But soon, um, Jeriel is promoted in her job title to a manager position, which requires more responsibilities. And she worked at this clothing store. So she had to quickly kind of find out, okay, my daughter is a toddler. I want her to be well taken care of. Do we send her to daycare or do we do something else, right? So Jeriel and Frederick began to discuss their options and they come to the decision that because Frederick's schedule was a lot more flexible than her own, that they would just have Frederick stay at home with the baby and work his flexible job when he needed to. And I'm just going to stop the story here and just say, I thought personally that this was pretty admirable. Um, And not that we like, not that watching your kids gives you extra cookies, right? I feel like it was admirable in the sense of usually that role of staying at home with a child is traditionally given to a woman. It just is like, you know, that the expectation is the man is supposed to provide, he's supposed to work, and you are supposed to rear the children. And that's still the expectation when you are working, right? But usually if a parent stays at home, it's typically the mother. And so I thought that that was pretty cool that that was flipped on its head. And also it dispels a lot of the stereotypes about black men, right? That black men don't take care of their kids. Here it is, Frederick is willing to stay at home with his child and spend intentional time with her when he could just ship her off to daycare and let somebody else do it. But he realized that, you know, one, daycare is super expensive. That's number one. Number two, you only have your children for so long, right, before they grow up. And you want to make sure that you're instilling all these good characteristics and values in them. And so I think it dispels the fact that One, you don't have to do it traditionally. Two, black men do take care of their kids. And three, he was still providing. He was, he had his own business, essentially. And he was still providing for his responsibilities, right? So I just thought that was kind of cool, you know, because I think black men too often get a bad rap when it comes to um, taking care of their children. So That's just a little tidbit that I noticed as I was researching this case. Now, everything is working out beautifully. Even though it's not traditional, they are running their household well. They're doing everything they need to do, and their relationship is going well, and they're raising their child together. So Thanksgiving quickly approaches in 2009, and um, they decide to go over to Jarrell's mother's house. 
Her mother's name is Tony, and I'll be referring to her as Tony throughout the story. So just remember that Tony is Jarrell's mother. Now, as previously stated, Jarrell is a manager, so she goes to work on Thanksgiving Day. She works in the clothing industry, so it's not unpopular for people to go to work in that industry, right? So everyone feels like, okay, Sherelle will be over, you know, at some point throughout the day after she gets off of work, and then we'll see her then. So Frederick goes over to Tony's house, and he's fraternizing with her family, talking, eating, um, having a good time. But 2 p.m. rolls around, and Frederick tells Tony, hey, can you watch the baby for me? I have to run to my cousins to handle some business with him. Tony, of course, says, sure, no problem. Like, I'll see you later. And he goes off to handle his business with his cousin. But around 8 o'clock, Tony does not hear from Jarrell. Jarrell doesn't come over. She doesn't call. She doesn't, she's not in communication with her at all. And so she finds this to be odd. So Tony calls Jarrell's phone, but no one answers. Then she calls Frederick. Her boyfriend and says, hey, listen, have you heard from her? Like, what's going on? Like, have you, what, what is she doing? Frederick said he has not heard from her either. So this is when Tony begins to worry. Because it's like, okay, it's 8 o'clock. This is weird. Frederick hasn't heard from her. I haven't heard from her. And this is unlike her. This is not like her at all. So she calls her cousin, Tony calls her cousin, which is also um, Jarrell's cousin. And she's like, hey, you know, do you know where Jarrell is? Because not only was she going to stop over at Tony's house, she also was going to go over to some of her dad's family's house as well. So she was going to be hopping around for Thanksgiving, visiting various family members. So she felt like if I reach out to her cousin, Maybe she's over there at their house. And so then I really don't have to worry. But her cousin said, no, she hasn't been over here either. So panic ensues. Red flags go off and start to wave like crazy. They're trying to figure out where is Jarrell? So Tony, Jarrell's mother, sends that same cousin to Jarrell's house just to knock on the door. Maybe Jarrell went home and went to sleep and this is not a big deal at all. So Jarrell's cousin jumps in the car and starts to knock on the door. While she's at the door, she's actually still on the phone with Jarrell's mother. And she notices that no one is obviously coming to the door but there is a window that's open in the apartment. And she asked Jarrell's mother, like, hey, should I go through this window and just check and see? And of course, her mother said, yes, and I'm on my way. So you go in and check and you can call me back if you see anything, but I'm on my way. And she also calls the police to meet her there because she is totally convinced that something is not right. <clears throat> So Tony arrives on scene and her cousin looks throughout the house, but nothing is there, right? Like no one's there, no no traces of Jarrell being at the apartment or leaving the apartment. 
is there. And her cousin leaves, but Tony, her mother, is on the scene. So police arrive. They're waiting on the detective to come up when Frederick shows up at the apartment. And he seems totally surprised that they're there, right? And he said that he had just been with his cousin. He doesn't know where she is. He doesn't, he hasn't heard from her. He doesn't know where he, where Jarrell is. He admits that he hadn't seen her since the previous day. Something he did not mention to Jarrell's mother. He didn't say that at all. He just said that Jarrell got up that morning, went to work, and that was it. And that was the last time he saw her. He said to police and to Tony that sometimes she'll spend the night with her friends. And so when she didn't come back home on Thanksgiving morning, he felt like, okay, well, maybe she just went out and partied and I'll talk to her later on during the day. He also tells police that November 25th, that morning, maintenance changed the air filter. So the day before, which was the last day that he said that he saw her, they can't maintenance came in, changed the air filter and she was present and she left and said that she would be gone pretty much all day and all night. Right. That's his story. He also mentions to police that six to seven months prior to this incident, he was actually kidnapped and stuffed into the back of Jerry Yale's car he tells the police that he admitted to selling drugs on the side and he had obviously pissed off somebody and he got caught up in some mess. And he pretty much kept him selling like marijuana. It was nothing heavy. You know, he kept that separate from his family. So no one really knew that he was doing that. Um, and he wanted to keep that separate because he didn't want to intertwine the two especially because he had been kidnapped, right? So he was afraid that maybe Jerry Yell got into some trouble because of him, because of what he was caught up in. So the police are like, okay, they're trying to gather as much information as they can so they can figure out where should they even start looking. And Jerry Yell's family does exactly what you are supposed to do when your loved one goes missing. They begin to pound the pavement. They put up flyers. They search for her at, you know, places that she typically is. Um, and the police begin to reach out to um, various informants to try to see if there was a recent kidnapping. They're just trying to figure out what happened to Jarrell. Why can't we find her? Where is she? I want to kind of double back for a second and mention that not only did Jerriel's mother reach out to cousins and Frederick, she also reached out to Jerriel's job and she found out that Jerriel didn't show up on the 25th and she also didn't show up on Thanksgiving. So she had missed a total of two shifts and that also gave more reason for her to be concerned about Jerry L and her whereabouts, right? I wanted to mention that as well because that's important that she didn't show up to work either, right? So the police start to speak to coworkers because they're trying to figure out like the timeline, her movements, was something off with her? Had she been talking to anybody at her job? Was there anything unusual? Well, they sit down with 
her co-workers and they determined that she was a party girl okay just as much as she worked hard she played hard as well and her and her co-workers would often frequent dance clubs because as I said in the beginning she absolutely loved to dance well she had a favorite dance partner out of her co-workers his name was Tyrone Gibson or Tyron Gibson I'm sorry they were very close and a lot of the co-workers assumed that they had been sleeping together. So the police go and talk to Tyron and they're just trying to figure out what was the nature of their relationship, if any, because talking to other co-workers, it was just gossip until they were able to substantiate, you know, the claim that they were sleeping together. So Tyron says that on November 24th, that he and Jarrell closed the store together and they walked to an ATM to deposit all of the funds that they um, received that day from the store. Then he says she drove him to a bus station where he eventually went home. Now they have to substantiate this alibi and they can through security footage at the clothing store, security footage at the ATM, and there's security footage when he's dropped off at the bus station. However, that's going to take a little bit of time to retrieve that information and to, you know, absolutely confirm that this is exactly what happened on the 24th. They mentioned to him, you know, hey, you know, what is the nature of you and Jarrell's relationship? And he's, you know, he's very hesitant. He's like, oh, we're just we're just super close, you know, but the police push him and he admits that they had a sexual relationship. He also says that in October, she told him that she was pregnant and that he could possibly be the father. He asked her if she would get an abortion because he didn't want to have a kid. And since she didn't even know who the father was, it was just like not much use of keeping the child, but he doesn't really know what she did with the baby or if she was even still pregnant. So the police initially feel like, okay, we got, we have something here. He slept with her. He had motive to make her go missing because if she was pregnant, he wanted to end, you know, he didn't want to have the baby. That's enough motive. But they were able to substantiate his claims about where he was on November 24th. And they were able to track his phone and they were able to confirm that he was indeed at home with his sisters on November 24th on that night. And they were able to retrieve that footage and confirm his story about closing the store. So they asked Tyron before they let him go, who is this other guy? You know, who's this other guy she was sleeping with? Do you know? He says, I don't know his name, but I believe that it's a man that she met at the club. So police are like, okay, they're trying to research that as well. But they then have a neighbor of Jarrell and Frederick come to the station. His name was Ronald Tipton. And Ronald told police that he saw Frederick doing something very strange on Thanksgiving Day. 
He said he saw Frederick and a friend or what he assumed was a friend moving a love seat out of the apartment. Tony, Jarrell's mother, said that this love seat was only a year old, so it didn't make any sense to why he would be getting rid of it. But family didn't think anything of it when they heard this story. They didn't think anything was suspicious about it. They didn't think Jarrell, I mean, not Jarrell, but they didn't think Frederick did anything wrong. They just kind of felt like that's weird. It's only a year old. You're moving this this love seat out. Okay. So Frederick claimed to the police that he went and saw his cousin on Thanksgiving, which he did. His cousin's name was Daquan. Daquan came in to be interviewed and Daquan told police, yes, I went with my cousin to take out a couch of his uh, at his apartment. It was a strange request, but I mean, I did it. It's my cousin, my kinfolk. I was just trying to help him out. He said that Frederick explained that the reason why he was getting rid of the love sleep is because the baby has spilled milk on the couch. Now, so many questions, right? Okay, if the baby just spilled milk on the couch, I don't care how big that is. You can go get some upholstery cleaner, clean that up. That's no reason to go throw out a whole love seat. So it was like, why did you get rid of this again? As his family is hearing this information, they're like, that kind of doesn't make any sense. Mm. And then Daquan says, and we didn't dump that couch at his apartment complex. We actually dumped it at another one a couple of miles away. And police are just like, what? So first, this love seat is only a year old. You say you got a milk stain on it, but we all know that upholstery cleaners can get that out. And not only did you just get rid of it, you actually didn't even get rid of it at your apartment complex. You moved it to another location for it to be taken out to the dump there. The math ain't math. And no, it's not. You can't convince me that it is. So investigators are really taking another look at Frederick. Hey, you. Yes, you. The one who loves a nice glass of wine at the end of the day, but doesn't want to risk all those calories. Are you looking for a wine that is lab tested and guaranteed to be delicious? A wine that has no pesticides, no added sugar. Yes, no added sugar and zero artificial ingredients. Well, look no further. Scout and Cellar Clean Crafted Wine checks every box. And right now, there is a Black Friday sale off most of the wines on my website. This is MD. And yes, I sell wine. On the side, that is. So run, don't walk, and stock up. Go to www.scoutandcellar.com forward slash my ear, Dawn. Again, that is www.scout, S-C-O-U-T, and seller, C-E-L-L-A-R.com forward slash M-A-I-A-D-A-W-N. Scoutandseller.com forward slash My ear, Dawn. Thanks, guys. Police go and try to retrieve 
the couch because they want to see if there's anything on it, any evidence, anything like that. And when they get to the other apartment complex, they find that the trash had been picked up. So as they're talking to Daquan, they tell him, like, do you think that Frederick had anything to do with Jarrell's disappearance or maybe something happened to Jarrell because of him? And his cousin says, no, like, I don't think Daquan is not Daquan, but I don't think Frederick is capable of doing anything to Jarrell. He loved her like he really adored her. I don't think he would ever do anything like that. And they start to mention all the things that I previously just said about how it just looks very shady and shaky. And he says, you know what? Like, yeah, it does seem odd. I admit that. But Frederick is dumb. And in his interview, he says, you know, Frederick is actually just real dumb. And in my phone, Frederick, I named him Dummy. That is his contact name in my phone. Which it's like, what, dude? You dang. I mean... You sticking up for your cousin or you throwing him under the bus? Baby, I don't know. Like, we don't really know what you're doing, but let's keep going. So he also mentions that, Daquan mentions that Frederick mentioned to him that he and Jarrell had got into an argument a couple of days before Thanksgiving. So the police, they find out all this information. They go and they confront Frederick. They say, hey, like, what what is going on? Frederick says, yes, I did get into an argument with her, you know, because she was just doing way too much partying. Um, And she ended up actually butt-dialing him. And she was with another guy. And was talking about hooking up with that guy, right? So when I say hook up, that is like a very cavalier term, but it just simply means they were having sex. And Frederick heard this on the phone, right? So immediately they had an argument about it. He said that, you know, they got into an argument, but it was really nothing big. You know, it just, it it was an argument. It didn't get physical. That pretty much was the end of it. And they found out that this guy that she was communicating with that was the third guy in the situation, his name was Rico. And they didn't know his last name. So they're trying to figure out, did she run off with this Rico guy? You know, what she was entertaining various for various guys. It's quite probable that she might have just like skipped town. And family and friends are getting this information back. And they're like, no, Jarrell would not leave her child. She loved her baby. It's no way she would have left without taking her child. So it's alleged that Frederick actually choked her and grabbed her up when she got home that night. And this is alleged by Jarrell's cousin the same cousin that came over and checked on her um to make sure she to see where she was if she was at the house and Jarrell told this cousin hey listen I'm going I'm done like I've tried this man putting his hands on me I'm done I'm out of this relationship for good so Frederick had motive when they found out all this information about him not being totally honest about the argument to begin with 
about um, the couch and the, the, the suspicious nature of everything having to do with the couch. They just feel like Frederick had motive. Frederick might have done this, right? So when her cousin went into the apartment to try to see through that open window to try to see if Jarrell was in there, she noticed that there was parts of the carpet inside of the apartment that were missing. They, it looked like they had just been pulled up. And also she noticed that the carpet smelled a like gave off a strong odor of beach, of bleach. I'm sorry. So the police are like, okay, they're just building up their evidence, right? They're building up their evidence and they go and interview the maintenance man who Frederick said was there on November 25th when Jarrell takes off. The maintenance man saw her. That can be substantiated. So they talked to the maintenance man and the maintenance maintenance man said, yeah, no, we didn't see anybody because no one was at home. We literally let ourselves into the apartment to fix their air conditioning. And then we left. We didn't see anyone. So the police are the police are like, you know what? We need to go and talk to him. So they go and they confront Frederick again. He said, yes, okay, we did get into an argument. It did get physical. I did choke her. All of those things are true now because they weren't true before, but now they're true. And he also says, you know, I didn't, I didn't murder her. Like I didn't do anything to her. I didn't kill her. There was no incident after that. She left and I don't know where she went. He doesn't admit to anything, although they, he sees clearly there's this all this piling evidence that is building against him. So they're able to get um, a warrant to search his home and they find bleach on his carpet, but they also find blood. Now, they weren't able to determine who that blood belonged to because he had put so much bleach on the carpet that it destroyed the DNA, but they were able to say definitively that there was human blood on their carpet. So on March 2nd, 2010, Baltimore actually, PD actually finds a body. It was found right outside of North Virginia. The body was badly decomposed and it had been there for a while. So the only way that they were able to identify the body was through dental records and clothing. They were able to positively ID Jarrell Foster. Not only were they able to ID her, but they were able to, to figure out if she was actually pregnant as Ty, Tyron had alleged before and they found out that she was not pregnant when she died. Of course, her death was ruled a homicide and she was shot in the neck and stomach with a 32 caliber revolver. When the person shot her in her neck, they actually hit her jugular vein and so she essentially bled out. They had enough evidence at this time to finally charge Frederick with murder. 
So on March 15, 2010, they apprehended him at a friend's home. And in April 2011, the trial began. They believe that on the early morning of November 25th, he was waiting for Jarrell to get home because he had received that butt dial call. He was he had already worked himself up into a frenzy. And so he was waiting for her to get home. When she did arrive home, he, you know, roughed her up, choked her and got a gun and shot her twice in the neck, severed her jugular vein and shot her in the stomach. He then dropped her off in Virginia and then only after kicking it with her family on Thanksgiving Day did he go back and clean up the crime scene. And that's when you see him going with his cousin to get the couch and taking it to the dumpster and trying to just cover his tracks. He was charged with first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He never admitted his guilt. Their daughter is now living with family and being taken care of by Jarrell's family. So, we have got to the portion of our show where we discuss the takeaway. So I don't really feel like I have just a ton of takeaways as I usually do with with our cases here on Murder in the Black. The first takeaway is that when we get into these relationships, um, there are often times where there is domestic abuse. And as I've said on a previous episode, we dismiss those things. And I know that Frederick didn't all of a sudden wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to shoot her today. No, it was progressive. He had been abusive to her probably in the past. There's probably a history of abuse there. And she had finally got to her wits end. And when she was ready to go, he found out that she was seeing somebody else. And then she probably said, I'm leaving. And he just lost it. So while it's very hard to get out of domestic abuse situations, when you're in the thick of it, it is very possible. But the best thing to do, and I know this is coming out of my mouth, you know, easier said than done, right? But still a true fact that when you first see those signs of domestic abuse, it is best to get out of the relationship before you get far too deep in. So that's my first takeaway. This wasn't his first cowboy rodeo. He was super possessive of her. I mean, and even, you know, I heard somebody say, you got to be careful of those, like, never give those guys who chase after you a chance, ever. Those relationships never work out. And I feel like I'm a witness to that. I've seen friends. I've seen, I've been that person. Where you finally give that guy a shot who has just been relentlessly trying to give you his number, trying to take you out on a date. You finally give him a shot. And then what does he do? He 
is possessive of my time. He engages in domestic abuse. Like what? So that's ultimately what ended up happening, happening with Jarrell. She finally gave this guy the time of day, moves in with them, has a relationship with them, gives him a baby. And what does he do? He kills her. Because if he can't have her, nobody else can have her. Y'all, I mean, it's just he, and I strongly believe that let's say there was no domestic abuse and he really just lost it. And it was a crime of passion, right? Like the fact that you can't deal with saying to yourself, you know what? I'm just going to break up with you. Like I may be hurt. I'm a cry river and a whole sea, but I'm not going to take your life. I'm just, I'm out of here. Like I can't deal with this relationship. Why is it that murder is the first thing that comes to your mind? Like, oh, she cheated on me. It's time to kill her. I never understand how people like skip these steps. Like, you know, it's, it's, she's cheating on me. So I should break up with her. You know, and even though I'm not in agreement with this, like she cheated on me, let me go cheat back. That's another option, right? Why isn't it, why don't those things come up before murder? You know what I'm saying? And I just, how it's, it's just tragic because as we say all the time, when in these situations where it's a couple and one partner decides to kill the other, and here it is that you have a child, that child is now left an orphan because of your bad decision. How unfair can you be? So the reason why I feel like I don't have just like a ton of t- takeaway because I feel like I've echoed these same sentiments in previous episodes. I just feel like it's the, you know, with some of these cases, it's like another sad love song. You know what I'm saying? Just another sad situation where someone is killed simply because you wanted them all to yourself and because you couldn't get them and because you're selfish, because you're crazy, you decide to kill them instead. Secondly, you know, I was so frustrated with the, with his cousin, with Frederick's cousin, cousin, with Frederick's cousin, Daquan. He made me so upset because, you know, you, I call him dummy on my phone. Like you, I feel like you knew exactly what he did. I feel like maybe you even helped carry his body out to where it was found. Because if you're over here saying, yeah, you know, he said he spilled milk on the couch and you just readily ate that up and was just like, yup. I mean, that's stupid, but yeah, let me help you take you, let me help you take this love sofa to the other side, to another dump. Like, I just feel like, dude, you knew, you knew that something was stinking, that something in the water wasn't clean, child, and you just wanted to dismiss it and ignore it because that was your kinfolk. So just say that. You over here calling this boy dumb in the interview? You know, like, this boy wasn't dumb. He was methodical. He, he thought he strategized it. Baby, you might as well say, I have no comment. I would like to plead the fifth. Because everything that he said in that interview was absolutely dumb. Talking about he calls Frederick dumb. You're the dummy. If you believe that somebody should be getting rid of a, of a seat because milk was spilt on it. Y'all, listen. 
The lesson here is don't commit crimes. If someone is cheating on you, if they decide that for whatever reason, and what Jarrell was doing was absolutely wrong. It was. There's no two ifs, ands, or buts about it. But at the same time, cheating is not a crime. So I don't feel like she should have been killed because she was talking to someone else. Listen, if you want to be with somebody else, if you find yourself not wanting to be in a relationship, it is much easier to just break up with that person. Let them experience that pain, hurt, and anger and get over it so that y'all can both live your lives. You know, it just was, this was senseless. This was absolutely senseless. And I feel like, um, you know, Frederick's cousin should have been charged in this crime because I really feel in my heart that he had something to do with it. Not that he killed Jarrell. I believe that Frederick did that all on his own. But I firmly believe that he helped to move that body just like he helped to move that couch. Come on, somebody. So that is my takeaway for the week about the story of Jarrell Foster. So now you see why I call it a deadly love. It was, to me, from the point that she met that guy, it was always going to end up in her death because that's the type of guy he was. That's the type of guy he was. He was relentless. So that is our case for the day. Stay tuned for our update on Shanquilla Robinson. quick update regarding the case of Shanquilla Robinson. If you don't know what that's about, you can go back to our episode entitled A Mystery in Mexico, Shanquilla Robinson, and you can find out about that case, everything you need to know about the case, um, as well as the episodes following that we have updates surrounding her case. Now, according to Yahoo News, I wanted to give you guys their news. And this was actually updated on November 30th. So this is very recent. Um, They said that Interpol agents, which Interpol is basically like a, um, it's a worldwide like police agency, so to speak. So when there are various warrants and things and people have to cross countries to get people, this is where you send the information to you send the warrants to these people so as we've already previously discussed <clears throat> Dijonet was a person of interest in the case and this case was uh marked as a femicide uh still being investigated could turn possibly into a homicide and so they were Interpol agents went out and were able to arrest Dijonet Jackson on the night of November 28th in response to a control judge issuing an arrest warrant against her for the crime of femicide. So our cries have been heard. Um, This case has garnered so much attention and we're so thankful that it has that one of the people, Dijonet Jackson, was arrested. And if you just need a refresh, Dijonet was the person who was beating on Shanquilla in that viral video. So that's kind of really where we are. She is in custody. She has been arrested. And that is essentially the update for the Shanquilla Robinson case. Um, 
Salamandra, Shanquilla's mother, said that she would like for each of them, meaning each person that was on the trip with Shanquilla, to be sent back to Mexico. She said she believes their plan was to come back here thinking they wouldn't be prosecuted. She was kind, Shanquilla was, and she wants her life to be remembered. And she promises to carry on her work. So they will be continuing to seek justice. They're happy that Dejanae Jackson has been arrested and she is right now in federal custody awaiting the extradition process in Mexico. We'll continue to closely watch this case, you guys. Um, and if anyone is arrested, we will got we will let you know and let you know when Dijanae has officially uh, been extradited back to Mexico. We're hoping that Dijanae sings like a canary bird and tells us what happened, clues us in, and doesn't take the fall for everybody. And my thoughts is when you're a criminal like she is you will sing like a canary bird because why not the hopes is that she'll tell on everybody who was on that trip so that we can get the justice that Shanquilla deserves that is our update it is December 1st y'all we right around the corner from the holidays so get that Christmas shopping done until next time friends I'll see you next Thursday this is murder in the black.